0: And this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In today's episode of Kiwi birth tales, I speak with Lauren. Lauren takes us through having her first baby join her through the Oranga Tamariki program. And then her second baby was conceived through IVF after a really long journey. So I'll let Lauren take you through the rest of it. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Lauren. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Yep, sure.
1: Um, I'm Lauren. Um, I'm a kindergarten head teacher um, on the west coast of the South Island. In my family, there's me and my husband, Alistair, um, my daughter, Abigail, who's three, and my son, Patrick, and he's just turning 19
0: months. Lovely. Very cool. And do you want to take us through your journey to pregnancy?
1: It was a long journey for me, um, all up I think it was about five years. Yeah. It started off pretty light and breezy and taking it, you know, as it came. And when nothing happened after two years, we sort of thought we'd seek some help about that. And some scans and blood work from a specialist in Christchurch showed I had polycystic ovaries. She recommended a course of Clomid quite, quite quickly. So we did three months worth of that with no luck. Um, so then we ended up referred to Fertility especially
0: fertility um, Associates in Christchurch. I know a little bit about PCOS, but not a lot. Did they give you any information on how you could try to manage that or were they just going to try and work with you on the f- fertility side of things and sort of leave the PCOS?
1: They, they were quite happy with the way I was managing it so far. Um, lots of the risk factors I was already managing, I was a really – Healthy and fit weight. Um, I ate pretty well, like low GI, low sugar sort of things. Um, so it was basically a case of um, my ovaries not um, doing what they were supposed to be doing. So they they really recommended the medication quite strongly.
0: And so, what was the process from there?
1: After we did the clomid, um, and Fertility Associates had my consultation, and um, they did further testing. They suspected endometriosis. So we, um, booked in for a hysteroscopy and a laparoscopy. I rung up on the Tuesday and they had me in surgery on the Friday. So it was quite a whirlwind. And they found, yeah, quite, they found stage one endometriosis. So that was another factor against, um, getting pregnant naturally, which was a bit of a shame. Um, so then from yeah. then on, we were advised because of our age. We were advised to keep going with keep going with more clomiphene cycles. All up, we did nine cycles in total to be eligible for funding for IVF. Straight after the straight after the operation on our first cycle of clomiphene, I actually did get pregnant, which was really exciting. And I got the phone call on a Monday, and I was bleeding a bit, and I was worried about that. And I rung the nurses and they were very reassuring as it happens all the time. I just had a feeling as I opened the fridge one day and it was just awful and I just felt so nauseous. And then the following day I opened it and I didn't feel sick at all. So I sort of had this feeling in myself that I knew something wasn't quite right. And um, blood tests, as they monitor you, yeah, that confirmed that my um, HCG levels hadn't risen and they were pretty... um, pretty low so it wasn't looking likely that would pregnancy would continue so it was pretty I think after a long a long series of medical interventions it was quite devastating for me after um, I had the miscarriage um, that was also quite frightening for me Um, no one gave me any advice on what was going to happen to my body or Mm -hmm. how it was going to happen Um, the pain was just completely unbearable I was quite um taken aback by that, it was quite shocking. And yeah. I, I rung my GP and luckily the GP that was on after hours was incredibly kind and caring. She talked me through it really well. Um I ended up in, in the emergency department a couple of times just because there was um periods where I'd go with a l- intense pain and think it was finished. And then there'd be another it went on for about a week. Um just lots of different symptoms that happened with that miscarriage so it was quite not knowing and not being having gone through that before that was quite a scary experience and then from there we pushed on with um, more cycles of the clomiphene um, emotionally and physically and mentally that was really draining month after month of um, hormone intervention and the scheduled intercourse as well was really quite the monitoring they scanned you a lot and the constant like we we live rurally on the west coast so we have to travel to Christchurch to fertility associates so a lot of travel was involved a fair bit of time off work it was just quite intrusive to our lives so over the process yeah. of get, getting pregnant it was quite um quite and not as far from natural and relaxing as you could probably get i guess
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how were you finding the clomiphene was affecting you? I guess, obviously, it is a hormone intervention. So were you finding that it significantly affected your moods, or do you think it was just a mixture of everything that you were finding really difficult?
1: Oh, I think the mixture was really difficult. Um, but the hormones, they, they were really challenging to try and deal with. Um, I think everything was a lot yeah. more extreme. Um, all of your feelings that you're feeling were a lot more extreme. Just everything was turned up a notch. Um, very, very challenging to switch off in your daily life because it was so, everything was very intrusive with that. And then the, the hormones made you more upset, but you're also upset for real reasons as well, which was yeah. challenging. Yeah. When we finally did get on the waiting list for IVF, which was after. Those nine cycles um and two years of trying without any intervention, we ended up um, waiting for a, a full year. Uh, during that year, I decided I didn't want to wait to become a parent, so we signed up for Oranga Tamariki caregiver um, certification. And through that, um, we were amazed to find ourselves parents of a wee six-month-old baby girl. So that was a different oh, sort wow. of birth in a way. Um <laughs> Becoming yeah. parents in that way, straight into the six month stage, so it was really amazing and wonderful, um, but very different to the journey to pregnancy as well. So that was sort of on a on the back burner while we parented our wee girl Abigail.
0: How you decided to go about things? Obviously, once Abigail was with you, were you still focused on trying to conceive, and and what were your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely knew I wanted to experience pregnancy, and. I definitely knew that we weren't finished with our sort of journey to um have, having yep. that experience as well. It was it was definitely not healing in the way that you would maybe hope it would be. It was quite ex- interesting that it wasn't a replacement for being pregnant. I felt it was yeah. a very different way of being a parent in its own right and I I think that's quite significant and special. But I think if I wasn't, if I wasn't able to become pregnant myself, I'd still want to, I think I would grieve that in a separate way. Um, yeah, I think that's a very, it was very different. I, I assumed it would be maybe more similar, but once I, once we did the IVF cycle and did become pregnant, that was very different to parenting a six-month-old baby that came into your care and you have to build a relationship with them really, really fast and there's a lot of pressure on you from various agencies because they're looking at your parenting, whereas when you're sort of in the pregnancy stage, everything goes very slowly and it's just little increments every day that you build a bond with your baby. So it's very, it was a really different experience. I'm really excited that I've been lucky enough to experience both
0: yeah that's really interesting. i've I've never spoken with anyone who's had a baby come into their care that way, and I think I can resonate with what you say about needing to build a bond because when you're pregnant, I guess it it happens um, slowly over the course of your pregnancy and then also when you're p- parenting the newborn, I guess it happens slowly that way too, and there's no one focusing on what you're doing every second or anything like that. So I can only imagine that that was a really different experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really was.
0: Yeah. And so when you decided to do the IVF cycle, do you want to take us through that? Our number
1: was sort of called up. Um, we went in and they basically set everything in motion. Everything is controlled for you. They give you all the information you need from from absolutely every angle. They train you in how to use the needles. That was something I was quite nervous about. Yeah. Um, injecting myself my sister um she has an autoimmune disease so she's uh, i've seen her injecting herself with her um, immune suppressant medication so i'm not completely alien to it but to do it myself was very challenging i took a few goes but then once i was you know you have to do it so much you get into the swing of things i i liked doing it myself i didn't want my husband to do it there was just some element of control that i needed about it i don't know i just needed to do my own injections so I knew very very controlled I found IVF much easier Um, we were more in control and I was more purposeful with what I was doing whereas clomiphene you're sort of waiting hoping and hormonal um IVF I was doing a job and doing my injections and monitoring everything and going for my blood tests I felt too busy to worry too much and doing it all while I had a Toddler as well was quite um yeah it, yeah that was that was another aspect to that I had kind of had didn't have too much time to dwell on it because I was busy with um, Abigail at the same time
0: yeah and so you only did one cycle of IVF and it was successful do you want to take us through that
1: yeah we did um we went and through everything monitoring all the blood tests um towards egg retrieval we went to Christchurch. They scanned me and I needed to stay there a few days. Luckily, Al's parents lived there, so we stayed with his mum and we just waited until the eggs were at the point where we could give the trigger injection. Um, There was a bit of a scare when my levels, something in my blood spiked and they were concerned that the eggs had all been released before they could gather them. So that was a really devastating blow. That was trying to stay positive and then being told prepare yourself that we might be not be able to get mm-hmm. any eggs was just really challenging to get my head around. The egg retrieval was really painless. It was really, the ladies and um, staff in there were just really wonderful and caring, kind. I was, I was pain-free. They give you a local as well, which is really good, and they just talk you through everything they're doing. You're a bit out of it because you're on quite kind of, you're, awake but not quite with it so I felt quite drunk during that process I think they got about maybe 20 I can't remember how many eggs but it was in the 20s eggs um so that was a lot more than we were expecting we were were expecting none in case but yeah they got quite a lot of eggs so I responded really well um and from that it whittled down to um six embryos that were viable for freezing so we got a good amount there's still five in the freezer over in fertility associates in Christchurch so it's handy um but yeah Patrick was the first embryo that got transferred in and I wasn't expecting that to work because everything else had not worked and yeah. with the miscarriage yeah. as well I was very weary during that whole period but um yeah everything the numbers kept doubling and doubling and when um yeah when each milestone that we hit we just got more and more confident which was nice.
0: Yeah and how did you feel initially sort of the changes in your body from pregnancy did you have many symptoms in your first trimester? I had quite a
1: lot I felt lots of little I don't know what they were but it was like little flutters and butterflies and I felt them really early on quite low down so I don't know whether that was muscles moving or I don't know what it would, what it actually would be because that didn't align with anything that I'd read about, about early pregnancy. The nausea was the overwhelming factor. It overrode everything else. I was really, really nauseous and it just, it just escalated and it only left at about 18 weeks. Um, Yeah, I was just pretty debilitated by that and I worked a little bit, but luckily I was still on maternity leave and just working part time. So that that worked quite well. It's Something I'm quite worried about for the next time, because it was I couldn't yeah. really do anything. It was motion sickness style, hungover,
0: mixed yeah. with and,
1: being on a boat. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And were you finding anything that sort of was able to aid you in that, or you were just like, no, there's nothing that helps me um, at all? I I used everything. I
1: used acupressure bands. I found them actually quite good, the acupressure bands, this morning sickness spray, um I ginger hypno hypnotherapy. A GP that I went to was actually a birth hypno doctor. I think he did pregnancy and birth and hypnotherapy to support that, so he taught me a hypnotherapy technique to combat the nausea it didn't really work. Nothing really worked except mm. it, it, it was just something to do while you were waiting to throw up again. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it couldn't hurt. So I gave everything yeah. a go.
0: Yeah. And how were you feeling after that? Obviously after your nausea, nausea subsided a wee bit, were there any other symptoms that you experienced and were you doing the normal testing that they offer in New Zealand? Uh, yeah, I did all the
1: testing as required, like as recommended by my midwife. I did, yeah, lots of blood tests, um, all the protein urine tests, the ultrasound scans. Uh, we found out the gender as well. I couldn't wait. I'm not very patient, so <laughs> I, I couldn't wait. I waited long enough to be pregnant. I thought I can't wait to find out <laughs> what we were having. So we were very excited that he was a wee boy, um, and you couldn't mistake it on the scan too. I thought, how did these um the ultrasound people hide the gender from people because it's quite obvious (laughs) when they skim over it so that was really exciting quite funny um I felt amazing right up until about even at like about 34 weeks I felt really really good and um I just felt starving I was starving the whole pregnancy so hungry I'd have two dinners um heaps and heaps of snacks I loved a cheesecake that was my favorite
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
1: there was, it was bliss for that middle bit yeah it was really good
0: yeah and I think you mentioned in your email that you were tested for gestational diabetes
1: I was and it came back clear in the earlier testing I think there may be yeah um they test you sort of in the middle and um then my midwife was measuring me and she sort of did the calculations to figure out how big she reckoned baby was. And compared to me and has, has, um, you know, they're pretty certain with IVF babies of their, um, their dates. So she was quite concerned yeah. he was actually measuring really big. And she said, we need to get you tested again. So I did the, um, two hour fast one with the sugary drink. That was really unpleasant. It made me feel really unwell. It was a tricky environment as well because you're in a, you have to wait. In the hospital I went to for my blood test, you have to wait in a waiting room with a lot of other people. And I just felt like Mm. lying on the floor and like really, really unwell. So it was a really stressful two hours. Um, But she, yeah, confirmed it was gestational diabetes. Um, after that test, which was a bit of a, quite a concern when you've had nothing really to worry about. And then they tell you there might be something wrong. Um, it starts the, the wheels turning in your mind and the stress starts to come
0: on. Yeah. And how far along were you when that was confirmed?
1: Uh, 34 weeks. I'm pretty sure that was when that was confirmed. So he was pretty good up until he just got really big and I was. So I'm five foot and with the polycystic ovaries and I was quite slim and I lost a lot of weight from morning sickness. So I stayed, I really didn't put on weight during pregnancy. I, yeah. because of all the hormone yeah. treatments for years, I'd actually had a lot of extra weight on. And so when I finally did um, become pregnant, the morning sickness dropped me right back to pretty much my normal, which is 52, 53 kilos. Um, and yeah. then I suspect... My body just couldn't produce physically produce enough insulin to cope with all the stuff that I had to eat to grow him and keep my energy up. It yeah. all just really yeah. snowballed at that end point where he was he was really gaining weight fast, and they were really worried about that because of I, a lot of factors. I think they look at about that like um, birth and after birth and um, his blood sugars and his growth because not necessarily. Healthy for him to be a big baby if, he, if it's because of gestational
0: diabetes. Yeah. And so, what were they, what was their sort of guidance on, on managing that? And, and what was their plan for the next six weeks before your due date?
1: Initially, it was monitor my blood sugars and I had to stay within a certain range. And I'm pretty sure it was under seven. My blood sugars had to be within a certain range just so that if the sugars went over the level that was considered safe. Um, it caused him to grow um, because he couldn't produce the insulin either was my understanding yeah. of it. So any time my sugars went up um, over the level that was sort of allowed or they'd sort of said as a safe level, it just made you feel like it made me feel really awful that I was harming my baby. That was a yeah. really difficult challenge with it because what ended up happening is they like you to manage it through diet. Um, because a lot of people that have gestational diabetes can, um, they can control it with their diet. Um, and mm-hmm. they, that can work really well for a lot of people. But for me, um, I ended up just losing so much weight. I was really, I think I lost seven kilos, um, while oh, I was wow. pregnant in that, in that time. It was just, I think my husband called me, he said, you look like a potato on toothpicks because of the big belly. <laughs> you know. And I had these, Tiny little legs, there was nothing left. So eventually they weighed me and finally figured it out. Just because you're being consulted with by a number of people, the midwife, she hadn't weighed me, she thought she had, but she hadn't weighed me. And then the obstetrician and the dietitian and the diabetes nurse, no one had really connected the dots and I was I felt like I was saying, I don't feel very well. I'm not managing this. But when you're kind of pregnant and upset and trying your best to do what they've asked you to do, you don't really feel as strong as you think you you know you might be and say yeah. try and push yeah. for more. So when they finally figured it out um, that I wasn't managing um, and I needed to eat more food because I was wasting away and I had no energy, and yeah. they they put me on insulin. Um, I was on a fast acting insulin. At first, and that wasn't managing it. What whenever we got it under control, um, the next week, petty would just grow again, and it would be unmanageable again. So it was a constant battle to just keep my to not overdose me on insulin, but um, to try and just catch up, and keep the sugars under control. So it was a really difficult period where I couldn't really eat any f- much food. Um, yeah. I was really tired, and I also en- and I stopped being able to walk the sugars off I was really good at that before I was really positive about that like if I ate something um that I maybe I ate two pieces of bread instead of one I could go for a walk down the road and pick up the pace and my sugars would come back down but um I stopped being able to do that because I got really intense pelvic pressure it was and I was struggling to walk at the end just because it was so deeply uncomfortable
0: Yeah, God, what an exhausting time for you! I can only imagine trying to manage all of that, as well as you've got Abigail, and you've got not long left in your pregnancy, so you're feeling those effects as well. I can, yeah, just I feel for you. Oh, definitely, it was a really hard
1: like few weeks that, and I still had, as far as I was aware, I still had till maybe thirty-eight weeks to go. Like I sort of thought I had a few more weeks than I ended up having. Um, he just kept getting bigger and bigger. I said to my midwife, I feel like he could be born. I feel like he's falling out. I was, I felt so much mm. pressure, so low. She just sort of, she dismissed it because it wasn't really a realistic thing that would be happening at 36 weeks. Um, So on 36 weeks and the seventh sort of day, right on the cusp of becoming 37 weeks, um, they did a, 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 a internal to check my progress, like sort of like to give us an idea. And they were expecting cervix to be really far back, really closed, nothing going on. Um, and it was the student midwife that did it. And she said, um, she's two to three centimeters. And I was quite, I was like, oh, that's why, <laughs> that's why I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> He's like sitting on me ready to go. And my midwife said, don't, Get, get out of there now because we don't want to stimulate anything because it was still too early. Yeah, they were quite concerned that if he came earlier than 37 weeks, we would have to travel to Christchurch because our hospital here um, on the coast doesn't um, have the equipment and support to deal with um, um, premature babies. So they would fly or right. ambulance or you'd be instructed to drive if you're in an in, in okay state to drive. Um, you just head over there if there was anything happening, but, um, they were quite surprised. So they said, all going well. They'll, um, induce me at 38 weeks just because my insulin wasn't, man- like well, I wasn't managing with that. I think they, yeah, they like to deliver the baby if it starts to impact the baby more than they would like.
0: Yeah, and so what was the process from there? Obviously, you were right on the cusp of thirty-seven, so you needed to try and make it one more week. What was that um, like for you?
1: Um, that was a bit tricky. It was um, like the, the the internal they did um, that night, like the next day. I would have, I would be thirty-seven weeks. So I was just yeah. in, up in the night, and I, I think it was eleven at night, and I just kept going to the toilet thinking I needed to wee. And then I heard this popping sound and I thought, oh no, I, I wasn't prepared. I didn't even have a hospital bag packed or anything because it was, they were like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't, it's not going to happen now. It's this and it's your first baby. It'll be over. All those things that they say, like it can take time. Don't <laughs> worry. And waters went pop and I was like, oh, here we go. And contractions started pretty quickly after that. So it wasn't yeah. much waiting. It was quite, quite full on right from the get go there at home.
0: God, it seems like you had every warning sign under the sun that probably weren't going to make it to forty weeks or overdue. Maybe like they assume most first time babies were. I'm surprised that they kept on saying that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah, my instincts were pretty on point there. Um, yeah, which yeah. was which was funny. Um, I had planned because of having so much intervention in my getting pregnant, I was really keen to have a really, is it like, an active birth. I wanted to do everything really naturally, and it just seemed to have thing after thing after thing happen that put me further and further away from that goal. Um, luckily, I wasn't too set on it. I sort of was just, I was just kept coming back to I'd be okay if he was okay. That was sort of my goal in the whole thing. There was, with IVF as well, in our DHB, they induce you at, they don't let you go overdue even by one day. It's a policy the DHB has. They will induce you. You can say no, um, and I queried that with the obstetrician, and his response was, oh, well, if you want to put your baby's life in danger, that's your choice. So I was quite... I was quite upset with that. I didn't feel like a partner in yeah. that. Um, that. That made me feel like a horrible person for even asking. So, I mean, there was things that were, I think, difficult about being rural. I didn't have the choice to go, right, well, I'll go private then and find someone that supports me in my birth plan. Yeah. Or, we're a little bit um restricted in that way. So that was that was a little bit challenging to hear that and not have the support to Maybe try and let things run their course naturally, as naturally as they could. Yeah, I'm not sure whether that played a part in, I don't, I don't know whether it was anxiety or fear. I think from the whole, the whole pregnancy, I was quite anxious, quite fearful, quite wanting to take control. Um, and it, there's a, I think there was a large part of that drove my sort of rush in the way, like once the contractions really ramped up at home. I got very frightened. I had a TENS machine. I loved my TENS machine uh, during my endometriosis pain. So I used to have quite significant pain with that. Um, I put it on during contractions. It did absolutely nothing. I ripped it off, which was really shocking to me. I thought this would all work and I can use all these strategies. Mm -hmm. But it was just insane pain right from the get-go, which was quite shocking. I didn't expect it to be unbearable within like an hour of feeling contractions yeah it was very different to what I'd prepared for so that gave me quite an unsettled
0: and anxious feeling and so did you end up calling your midwife and telling her that you were in labor do you want to take us through your labor at home I called my midwife and
1: just let her know we were I was like my waters had gone and she gave me instructions on you know checking it for meconium and all of that sort of thing um, that you need to do. And just, she said, labor at home, do a stretch. We hadn't even talked about labor as well. There was just not <laughs> anything we'd discussed because <laughs> it was too early. So, well, she, and yeah, she sort of felt she'd given me an active birthing book, but it was very different in person experiencing it. She'd just come off the back of another birth as well. So she said, just keep going at home. I'll go home and sleep. And then we'll, um, you let me know how you're going in the morning and by about two I was just I said to Alistair I need to go to the hospital if I have another one of these contractions just because of the pain it was so deeply unbearable I was I'm pretty good with pain in general I thought which that gave me quite a fright I thought it's going to happen now it's I'm in that much pain yeah so that gave yeah that gave me a real fright so we jumped in the car and rang um, my midwife, and she was going to meet us at the hospital. But on the way, my contraction stalled, and they just trickled off to pretty much nothing. So by the time we were at the hospital, they had me on the monitor, and I was contracting, but nothing that they would keep you in for. So they were really lovely, all the midwives. They're doing that. They were very kind, considering they knew that I'd jump the gun and come in when, you know, uh, they say, oh, labor at home as long as you can. And I freaked out and ended up at hospital way too early. But um, because my waters had gone, they, they want, and my diabetes, they decided to keep me in. So they gave me a sleeping tablet and I slept there, which wasn't the most restful sleep I'd had, but I managed to get some sleep. Um, And so, but, and then the next morning, the contraction still hadn't picked up. And they said, because of the diabetes, because you were needing to be induced anyway that the waters had gone and it had been, you know, like 12 hours since the waters had gone. Um, they were going to, they recommended I be induced and because they recommended I be induced, they also recommended the epidural, um, because of the contractions being so different, um, to, I guess, natural hormone driven contractions. And they said, you know, "We're, we're it's your choice. It's, but they explained the pros and cons and what would happen and, I was definitely keen for the epidural on that one. I just felt, I, I sort of felt that the the, the hormone that they were going to give me, would the contractions would be quite intense and it could take quite a long time. And I was already tired and I thought, oh, I'm happy to have the epidural. So I had the epidural and contracted away happily for that whole day and into the evening. Nothing really eventful other than... Around 11, my epidural wore off without anyone noticing. So I gradually got more and more pain, which was quite – it, it crept up on me before I knew it. And then suddenly – and I was nine and a half centimeters by that point, and they kept turning up the drip, turning up the drip. So they were pretty pretty fast and furious contractions that I was having. Yeah. And no pain relief. like that had worn off completely. So everyone was scrambling to try and get the – Gasineer, which I really liked the gasineer. I found that really, really um, relaxing. That was a relief, at least. So while they sorted the epidural and got that back online, the gasineer was my friend, and I was shouting. I felt like I was shouting at everyone, um, but apparently I wasn't. (laughs) But it was definitely – I got to experience a little bit of everything, I think, in my pregnancy and in labor. I got, got to um, have some contractions, which was exciting, but very, very real and a bit that from having no pain to nine and a half centimeter contractions was quite, yeah, quite shocking. They'd kept examining me, um, and they kept see I uh, experiencing a bit of cervix that just wouldn't move. Um, Patrick was posterior as well, so I think they kept trying, they would ask me to get in a different position, even with an epidural, you can move into like sort of active birthing positions within your sort of range of movement that you've got. Yeah. The only issue with me was I was hooked up by the end to the, the epidural drip, the the one in the IV into my hand. Um, and also the other hand had another IV in it for the diabetes medicine. So I couldn't manage my um, testing anymore. I was getting too tired and too sleepy to test um, as often as they needed me to. So the hospital midwives took over. My midwife, um, she'd actually, she'd gone that morning. So she was actually sleeping. Um, so I was under the care of, um, hospital midwives, which I really enjoyed. They were wonderful. I had this wonderful midwife, um, talk. She answered all my embarrassing questions that I was really nervous mm-hmm. about because at this point I was still ready to push a baby out. So I had, I was asking what happens if I poo. What do you do? Who's <laughs> going to be in the room? I just wanted to answer, like her to answer all those questions that I was really frightened about that you, she was very yeah. warm and maternal and lovely. So I felt really safe to ask all those. Sometimes you think they're silly questions, but I sort of thought I've got to ask them. Otherwise I'm going to be worried. And when I'm pushing and I don't want to be worried, I just want to push <laughs> the baby out. <laughs> I don't want to be worried about silly things. So they were yeah. really wonderful. And I had a, I had a go at pushing. And I was doing a good job at that, but the cervix just wasn't moving. And the midwife put her hand inside and um, while I pushed, she pushed the cervix back to try and just get his, get it round just to, but it just wasn't moving. So yeah, that's when they called the caesarean. The doctor came in and um, made the call that um, a caesarean would be the best option. It's just not, it wasn't moving. And Patrick was, he was happy the whole time, so it was a very relaxed... It was very fast, that because it was an emergency caesarean. The theatre team and everything was moved quite quickly, but it was very relaxed. I felt quite safe during that process of yeah. being transferred to theatre. And um, with the anaesthetists, they were really lovely and really communicative. Everyone was laughing and joking and really happy and bubbly, which was really reassuring. From then, um, they... Um, My husband was getting all dressed and he came in a bit later. Um, They kept doing the sort of pinch test to see whether I could feel things. And I said, yes. And they said, oh, can you feel that though? And I said, yes. And they said, oh, but no pain. And I said, yes, it's hurting when they're pinching (laughs) the skin. And so they said, oh, okay. So they tried to adjust the epidural. They tried to adjust that sort of thing, but it just wasn't taking away the full pain. So the pain was bearable, but it was definitely not like tugging and pulling pain. It was like I could feel them cutting through each layer, which was really, Mm -hmm. I had to really focus because I wanted to stay awake. So I said, I can still feel it. It's still painful, but they were obviously, you know, confident that it wasn't painful enough that they were to, you know, needed to knock me out. So Right. The doctor said, okay, we're going ahead anyway. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and, oh, my and gosh. The said, Yeah, I wasn't ready. I sort of felt like, no, um, I don't, you know, you hear and you see, oh, the tugging and pulling sensations normal, but pain isn't. And I was feeling pain. So I sort of was quite terrified at what would happen as they yeah. proceeded with that while I was awake. So I hadn't noticed at that point that my husband was looking grayer and grayer he, he said to the anaesthetist or a nurse, I think he said, I don't feel very well. And then you hear them saying, hang on, dad's going. Dad's going. <sighs> oh no. He's gone. And he was on the floor, but he at least told them so he could get on the floor instead of just passing yep. out and knocking out all their equipment and things. That was good. <laughs> um, but oh, poor Al. Yeah. He, he wasn't, he wasn't coping with like two straight nights of no rest. And he'd just come off a night shift the night yep. I went into labor as well. So, and combined with a very hot operating room, he doesn't cope well in the heat. So it was all very hot in there. Lots of medical smells. I think they used some sort of sin, like a singy thing, like a like, um, cauterizer. That's the one. I think they used one of those yeah. at one point, And I think the smell of that might have maybe set him yeah. off. And so he was wheeled away in a wheelchair into the recovery room. I could feel the big those um, metal things they use to hold your stomach apart, I could feel them in my stomach and I could feel all my Mm. insides being pushed around while they grabbed, got Patrick out. So it was quite, I was really focused in on staying awake, staying okay until he was, he was out. But um, that was once he was pulled out and he started to cry and the pediatrician checked him because, because of the um, gestational diabetes, there was a pediatrician there as well just to make sure he was all right. And because he was so early, I think that was another factor. Being 37 weeks, he was quite um, – they were quite worried about things like in breathing with a C-section and an early baby. They don't get pushed through the vagina through like they don't yeah. get that pressure on their lungs and then it squeezes out all that mucus. Often they can get – yeah. Um, have trouble with mucus in their lungs, but he was luckily he was fine in that regard, which was really reassuring.
0: Yeah, and how big was he when they weighed him? I imagine they weighed him in the room, did they?
1: They did. Yeah, he was seven pounds fourteen. So at thirty-seven weeks, that's a pretty good weight. So he was really gunning for a gestational diabetes baby weight, I think, if he was going to stay <laughs> cooking. Yeah. A few more weeks. Yeah, he was quite quite a good size baby, I thought, in the. When I saw him Uh, from there, um, they asked me if I wanted Patrick with me, but I felt too unwell. Um, I did lose a bit of blood, nothing major. Just, I think the whole shock of everything um, made me feel quite sick. So I said, take him to Al. So he, um, Al and Patrick were sitting up in bed when I got wheeled through after everything was um, tidied up and sewn up. And Al was um sitting there in the hospital bed with the baby and I said oh congratulations you've had your baby <laughs> <laughs> it was just a funny sight to see him with the baby but um yeah. it was really nice they got their they got their time together um and one of the theater nurses passed Patrick to me and um asked me if I wanted him to help to latch him on straight away so I've got a photo of his first latch in the recovery room with me. The, the nurse took a photo of that, which was really wonderful.
0: Oh, lovely. Yeah.
1: He was quite good at latching. I had to, I'd done a lot of, vi- like I watched a lot of videos. I'd done a breastfeeding course. I'd researched it, researched it, read everything I could find on it. Um, I was really determined that I wanted to do everything I could to to breastfeed because I wanted to have that whole experience. And I also wanted to be really informed to be an advocate for myself and for Patrick. Yeah. We've got a really amazing support for breastfeeding on the West Coast. It's sort of pushed me to join the um, mum for mm-hmm. mum peer support group for, so I'm a peer support counsellor for breastfeeding as well. So you can go and help other mums with it. Um, cause my yeah. journey with breastfeeding wasn't straightforward, um, but I didn't have any massive hurdles in that way either because he was um, gestational diabetes baby they do heel pricks and one of his heel pricks came back as low blood sugar so what they then put into place is glucose gel immediately for him and the choice of formula or donor milk and I um, luckily we've got a donor milk um, system going at our hospital so I chose donor milk and I preferred to feed him by a supply line so that meant he would still be on my breast feeding from me but with the little supply line going yep. attached to me and into his mouth. So I preferred that way rather than finger feeding him the the milk just because it I felt like that would help him and me. I enjoyed it. It took two or three people to do it. Um and then afterwards I would need to power pump which was pumping 10 minutes. Then rest, then 10 minutes, then rest, then another 10 minutes, I think. So it mimicked cluster feeding. So I had to pump that way and also hand expressed colostrum because I hadn't had hand expressed any colostrum because you weren't supposed to hand express colostrum before 37 <laughs> weeks because it can bring on oh, later. Yeah. So, I mean, we were a little bit behind the eight ball and um, with all of that, all of that stuff, which was a bit of catching up, but I, I understood I needed to pump to mimic the feeds that he would be having. Then I had to also give him time on my breasts to to feed and latch, and I worked on getting his mouth really wide, getting looking for that swallowing. I could never really hear him swallowing as a little infant, so that was challenging for me, learning all of that. Um, I never really had a huge amount of pain, which was nice, but they got uncomfortable. And those those gel things you can put in the fridge and then put them into your bra, they were a lifesaver. They were amazing. (laughs) I had heaps of those.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and so how long did you end up spending in the hospital before you went home?
1: I was um, determined to stay in the hospital until my milk came in. Um, I really wanted to get all the support that I could uh, to make sure I I felt confident to feed him. I wanted to feel confident and I wanted to be reassured that there were that he was being fed um exclusively from me because I wasn't sure that I would be able to do the supply line feeds and pump and top up think you know manage that workload I really thought if I can get it sorted before I leave hospital that would be wonderful so I stayed yeah. for 5 days so normally they say after like 2 or 3 days you can go home And they the obstetrician came in and said, oh, you can go home now. And I said, oh, thank you. But I just asked, I said to the midwives, can I just please stay until my milk comes in? And they were really, we're very lucky at our hospital. There's, it was very quiet. I was the only other lady in there for, I think I was the only lady in there for a couple of nights. And then one or two other ladies joined me. So, I mean, I I got a lot of support really early on in that way, which was really, really good. And I had the same midwives during the day and I had the same midwives at night. And I think that continuity of care was really beneficial, especially for yeah. um, learning the breastfeeding and what I needed to do for that and getting support with with that. I didn't get much conflicting advice. So that was really, really beneficial.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And how did you find it once you took Patrick home? And how was Abigail when you introduced her to a new little brother? And do you want to take us through what that experience was like?
1: It was wonderful to be home and in my own environment, um, really relaxing, but a lot of visitors, which was, I found difficult. I think next time round, if there is a next time round, I'd definitely keep it a bit quieter. Um, yeah. Because there's only little windows of opportunity to sleep, I think, with newborns. Um, Patrick was a pretty good sleeper um, during the day. But At night, yeah, you, you're just tired as well. Recovering from birth, you couldn't with the c section, I couldn't do much, so I just yeah. prepared myself to sit and have meals brought to me. Had my little breastfeeding station with my water and snacks. Um, Abigail and Patrick, they she did, she was not happy basically <laughs> that, that there was another yeah. human in the house, she was not yeah. impressed at all. But she was only just two, so it's a tricky age, I think. They're very yeah. egocentric, so she was very happy to have lots of time with um her dad. So that was nice that she had lots of time, because I was breastfeeding pretty much the entire time, unless Patrick was sleeping, he was breastfeeding. So he was a very busy little feeder, which was <laughs> I was prepared for, which was good because it was quite full on. I think if if I expected him to only feed every three hours. I would have felt really overwhelmed with it, but I just sort of had in my mind "I'm just going to as much as he demands, I'm going to give that to him. So that worked quite well. Yeah. It worked well.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And what were the next few weeks like, how were you feeling emotionally and how did he go with gaining weight and everything like that?
1: I felt, I felt really amazing and honeymoon sort of phase. I felt just in love, absolutely in love. And, it was just this massive high feeling, really attuned to him. And he was so relaxed. He was a relaxed little dude who's so calm. And that calmed me as well. And I think feeding him calmed me, having lots of time sitting with him. because I'm a very busy person. And so for him to demand me to sit and relax was really, that was really good. I think we did really, we did really well. And my husband had. Six weeks off work um, because of the caesarean, I needed help for six weeks. So luckily his work was able to um, accommodate that and um, cover that within their, within their organization. They cover um, an extra, if it's a caesarean, they cover extra leave and things. So that was really wonderful to have that support. His weight gain was going really well. He seemed to be growing wonderfully. And... He had a way from my midwife and she said he's actually lost weight. He's not putting on weight. So she thought he had not put weight on in the week that in the few days that she hadn't seen him. Um which was enough to set plans into motion to have he has a little tongue tie. So she said, No, the tongue tie needs to be cut. Um, he needs to be topped up with like um your your expressed milk right now if you've got any milk in the fridge. So we had to get a bottle out like when she was there and feed him a bottle. She got the hospital pump because I didn't have a breast pump. um. So we got the hospital pump and appointments were made, everything. I was just in tears, so upset, because I thought everything was going so well. I felt like he was drinking enough milk. He had enough wet nappies. There were lots of signs that he was totally fine, Um, the wet nappies, poo nappies. He was alert and awake while he was, you know, alert, you know, and sleepy, and he wasn't showing any signs of classic not not gaining weight that you would be worried about. So that confounded the midwife, but she went by the weight. Later that night, she rang me back and said, "I've had another lady that uh, her baby didn't gain weight either, which and the baby wasn't showing any signs of that, same as Patrick. So she said, I've double checked my scales and I think they're out. So she weighed him again and he'd put on like 200 grams. So he was smashing the weight gain. So we could put everything, you know, all the plans to put gain, like gain weight for him out the window and just keep doing what we were doing, which was just a huge relief because it did make you think, how did I not notice he was starving, which was a bit awful. And
0: so what was your experience like with him sort of once you got your feeding all sorted and did you notice any changes in his sleep patterns? I did, yeah. He was a really,
1: like they would say a good sleeper um, right up until four months and like he only woke maybe once or twice a night. It was quite manageable. Um, After that, he pretty much catnapped and his wakes were pretty much at their worst hourly, um, and at their best, maybe four times a night. And that's pretty much continued. Um, if he's teething, he's up between six or eight times a night. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can get pretty sleep deprived. Um, that, that was, yeah, I've had to sort of get sleep when I can get it. Um, and it's not really changed since, since then. So that, that first four months was kind of. Little baby bliss because we were all getting lots of sleep, which was yeah. nice. Yeah, he was really just, and he, he will feed to sleep as well. So we we do just that goes along with that on dem, on demand and demand supply thing. He drinks a lot of his milk at night, which I find out when I go away because <laughs> when I wake up, <laughs> I'm really engorged, and I think, oh, he does actually drink quite a lot of milk at night. Um, but that seems to be his pain relief as well for teething. So. It's just part of our lives at the moment until he's ready or able to be weaned. Eventually, one day would be yeah, nice. Yeah, and how <laughs> old is
0: Patrick now?
1: <laughs> um, he's nineteen months, so he's going to be two in February. So, not really that long to go for sort of natural weaning. And um, we did a bit of night weaning. Um, I developed I developed aversion, really bad feeding aversion, not long ago. Um, but we discovered that was because I'd somehow gotten pregnant naturally, which was a real surprise. And so that really impacted on the feeding. So we ended up having to night wean him. Um, but as with the other pregnancy I had prior to IVF, um, I found out I was pregnant at the start of the week. And then by the end of the week, my levels had halved. So, yeah, I had to have – at least it was more of a informed miscarriage this time, but it's still – a bit traumatic and not something I'd want to do ever again. If if that's no. it. just it's just one of those things that's quite uh, unpleasant. And particularly this time was quite unpleasant with um, just it was a further along pregnancy, it was a more developed pregnancy, so yeah, it was quite more painful in in a way. But I would had I had pain medication ready and strategies to cope, so that was that helped a lot this time around. So that's my most recent pregnancy that's happened. So the next the next one, hopefully, will be um, planned IVF pregnancy, if, that, yeah, if we're so yeah. lucky.
0: If, that, if another
1: transfer works, that would be really lovely.
0: Yeah. And how long? Do, is there a limit of time you're sort of able to keep the embryos in the facility, Fertility Associates office, or what's the process there? Uh, we have to pay
1: storage fees, um, but they like yeah. you to make a sort of a decision around 10 years I think they start to um they pretty much let you have them there indefinitely so long as you're paying yeah. for storage but um there comes a point where you might need to choose what you do with them and there's a very there's a range of options if you choose to not use them all um you there's a range of options for what you can you can do with them you can donate them to science you can have them made into jewelry. I'm not sure how that works, um, <laughs> but there's someone that makes them, turns them into jewelry, which is quite quite a lovely way of doing it. You can donate them to um, couples that can't create their own embryos. Um, yeah, there's a there's a range of you can get them gifted back to you, and you can you know do what you would like with them, like plant them under a tree, like you might the placenta or something like that. So yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether we'll need. It depends how the thawing goes, whether we will need all five, because Patrick might have been the lucky embryo and the rest might not be as lucky. It's hard to know without um, genetic testing, which we haven't had done. We were going to do that if Patrick's, um, the embryo that was Patrick, didn't eventuate. We were going to get um, pre-implantation genetic screening just because of the miscarriage. And then if that didn't work, then we were going to investigate that further. But... There's no need to do that at this stage, so it's still on the back burner that that in case we need to do that, we might.
0: Yeah, I think you've got a really interesting and and long journey and experience that you've shared with us today, but it's really lovely to hear that you've got um, two beautiful little babies with you now, and, yeah, I look forward to seeing any updates in the future. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Lauren, and sharing your story with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback, so either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you.